0: what's up everyone this is jason from it's not that bad and there can only be one and you are listening to my weekly mixtape the podcast that's better than a stack of cds and a double deck cassette ghetto blaster now get ready to play along because the party starts now
1: Welcome to My Weekly Mixtape, a podcast that takes the classic mixtape approach to building a modern playlist. I'm your host, Brian Colburn. Joining me tonight as guest curator is someone who you might remember from Episode 1, Opening Guitar Riffs, as well as Episode 21, Great Songs from Bad Movies. Here to three-peat for the first time on My Weekly Mixtape is Jason Whistle, host of the It's Not That Bad and There Can Only Be One podcast. Jason, Welcome back to the show. Now,
0: is it a three-peat or is it a trifecta? I'm, I can't remember which show we're on at this point. So
1: I know, it's confusing. Let's go. I don't know. It's, you kind of stumped me on that one. <laughs> I didn't think that far ahead. <laughs> well, tonight, instead, you know, I, now that I'm thinking about this, we should have did artists' third albums just because of the three-peat. But alas, tonight, we are diving into 90s sophomore releases And this is actually a harder topic than one would think. So here's an example. Jason, you're based out of Canada, so this one will immediately resonate with you. Alanis Morissette. For those of us based in the U.S., one might think her debut, Jagged Little Pill, was absolutely massive. So for a sophomore album, I'll pick a song off of Supposed Former Infatuation Junkie. Well, for tonight's episode, that actually doesn't count because, believe it or not, Jagged Little Pill was Alanis Morissette's third studio album. There was 1991's Alanis and 1992's Now Is The Time. Both full-length studio albums released on MCA Records only in Canada.
0: Oh, trust me. Those got played a lot, especially because Alanis is actually from my hometown of Ottawa. So we heard her songs, those early songs, a lot.
1: Well putting that criteria up to this topic tonight, Jason. Did you have a tough time coming up with a bank of songs for this episode? There were a few artists where cuz we when we were preparing for this episode,
0: we tried to, you know, kind of set some kind of boundaries cuz otherwise there'd be so many albums up for grab. So, in Making the cutoff that the debut album had to be in the 90s, as well as the second album being in the 90s, you know, that would eliminate a band like Dream Theater, seeing how that first album came out in the 80s, or a band like Godsmack, where the second album came out in the 2000s. But that being said, there's still a lot of albums to go through. And it's funny you mentioned the Alanis Morissette angle, because I realized that There are some of my references, which are definitely going to have my Canadian showing in this one, depending on which direction this podcast and this mixtape is going to go.
1: Well, some of the amazing Patreon mixtapers chimed in with what they feel would best kick off a 90s sophomore efforts mixtape. And I want to give a few quick shout outs, but I want to preface it with a mea culpa because I did not put all of our criteria out in the universe when I put this out on social and I mentioned it on Patreon. So some of the ones that they chimed in with do have the 80s angle to it. No disrespect to any of these albums or any of these choices because I think they're great picks, but a few of them we will not be getting into tonight based on the fact that we dun 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 made it as difficult on ourselves as possible. But some of the ones that came in through the Patreon, David Lee Smith, who you heard as a guest curator on episode 27, Stevie Ray Vaughan, chimed in with Badlands, Heaven's Train from Voodoo Highway. Brand new mixtaper, Jason Donches, who I'd like to first welcome to the mixtaper family, chimed in with a couple. Anything off of Southern Harmony from The Black Crows, he's going to go with Remedy, absolutely love it. Simple from Collective Soul's self-titled album. Cherub Rock from Smashing Pumpkins, although his favorite off that album is Hummer, and Interstate Love Song by Stone Temple Pilots. Ben from the Too Vague podcast, who you heard as guest curator on episode 31, New Wave Classics, chimed in with Liz Fairs' Jealousy from Whip Smart. Seeker chimed in with Pearl Jam's Rearview Mirror off of Versus, and Cactus P chimed in with Oasis's Champagne Supernova from What's the Story, Morning Glory. Now, Jason, one of the things we should probably get out of the way before we get into the episode is the topic of EPs. Now, there are a lot of bands that will start off with an EP before the debut album. And tonight, for criteria's sake, we are letting the EP slide, meaning we're not counting that as a studio album.
0: Which is really, really good because... That would mean that Allison Chains' Sap would have been their second album, but instead we get to qualify Dirt as their second album, even though there are really, really good songs on both of those. But in some cases, too, as again, we were preparing for this, there are some cases where you had an independent full-length release and then the major label studio release but the albums are almost identical as far as the track listing goes and in some cases it's just a re-recording so there's some bands where that lesser known first album you know may have disqualified it but because it's basically the same album it's like okay we'll just pretend that this is this one
1: yeah and that's part of the asterisk we call it on this show where we're not going to be hard and fast stomping our feet on the ground and pounding on the table to say wait a minute but we try to keep the research as honed in as possible but this is definitely a tougher category for tonight so i am glad to have a trifecta three (laughs) peter on the show to do that with so let's get down to business tonight as i mentioned at the top of the show jason and i'll be curating a 90s sophomore albums mixtape and we're going to use that old cassette deck approach Jason, as my special guest, will begin Side A with his first song choice, and then I'll add a song that I feel best follows up that choice. We'll then flip-flop choosing songs until we've mapped out 10 songs for Side A. We'll then give our mixtape a proverbial flip, and we'll map out Side B, only this time I'll kick things off with Jason choosing second. Our overall goal for this episode is to craft the best 90s sophomore albums mixtape possible through only 20 songs. At the end of the show, you can take our conversation to the next level by visiting the episode page at myweeklymixtape.com to give our final mixtape a listen via the embedded playlist. And finally, if you like what you're hearing on My Weekly Mixtape, you can help me out by either telling a friend about the show, leaving the show a five-star review wherever you're tuning in, or becoming a Patreon mixtaper at patreon.com forward slash mixtape. Jason, now I'm officially pressing the record button on this mixtape, and the floor is yours. What song did you choose to kick off side A?
0: Oh, I juggled a bunch of songs for the uh, the start of this tape. There were a few where it's like, do I put a band in that I'm a huge fan of? Do I put a band in that you know, maybe hasn't been as mentioned on the podcast before? But you know what? I'm going to start with one of my favorite albums from the 90s, and coincidentally, one of the last bands that I got to see before the pandemic hit and all the concerts shut down because I went from where I am in the, the, the greater Toronto area all the way down to Louisville, Kentucky. This band was actually the opening band for the Nixons off of 1996's Wax Aesthetic. I'm going to yes. go with the title awesome. track off of that album from Sponge. And this album, I mean, front to back, even the hidden track, which may be, One of the best hidden tracks of the 90s. That's not a joke song. Velveteen is a great song. But I mean, the whole album, all the way through. And the funny thing is, it's not even my favorite Sponge album. That one goes to New Pop Sunday, which was their third album. It didn't get as much attention as it should have gotten. But Wax the Static, in my opinion, it's better than their debut. There's so many good songs off of that one. But yeah, like this album, front to back.
1: Could not agree more. And do you want to laugh? I normally don't have songs earmarked for spots on the playlist, but I'm going to tell you right from song one, <laughs> you scooped me because I was thinking of that opening guitar riff and the opening drums to be the fantastic track two. Oh, wow. to follow up whatever you had picked. <laughs> so you scooped me on the band, the song and the album. I love Wax ecstatic. My band used to cover that song. We used to jam it all the time. I love singing it. It's got this groove to it, this hard rock swagger to the song. The first album was very much rooted with songs like Molly and "Plowed" in that kind of alternative, I don't want to say too cool for school thing, but you could tell it was a little bit more introspective, the songs. Wax Static feels like they took the 80s excess and they fused it with the 90s alternative sound so it had this hard rock feel to it and it was less alternative than anything off rotting pinata so absolutely love the choice and now i think there's only one song i can follow it up with as a second one because i want to keep that energy going wax the static really kicks off with energy and it's anthemic And I'm going to go with one that when I say the band name, you might not think, wow, that's going to be heavy following up Sponge, Wax A Static. But to me, it's probably the band's heaviest song of all time. And I'm going to go with The Counting Crows. From their follow-up to 1993's August and Everything After, I'm going with Angels of the Silences from 1996's Recovering the Satellites. When I first heard that song, I said... This isn't the Counting Crows. Like I was expecting a Mr. Jones, a Rain King, and they come out with this blast of sonic energy that really stands out from any song across their entire discography. And I think taking the level of wax ecstatic, I feel like we're keeping that energy going to kick things off tonight. So Counting Crows, Angels of the Silences.
0: Arguably... No, it's not not even arguably. That may actually be my favorite Counting Crows song. Eventually, there's going to come a time when that Counting Crows, there can only be one episode is going to be done. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And it's going to be hard (laughs) to not pick that as the only one. It's so good. It's so good. And it is. It's a blast of energy. And I remember when I used to DJ events and stuff like that. Trust me when I say that song got played a lot and the funny thing is when I was putting my list together I was like oh this would go well if it was right after this song I had a feeling you were going to put some Counting Crows on there so I know exactly what I'm going to follow that up with and and here's where the Canadiana comes in off of their Hallucigenia album from 1994 from the band Lowest of the Low it's a song called Penadona's Hand now I was really, really fortunate you know, to be able to interview Ron Hawkins on my old Made you a mixtape. To him, this was not his favorite album. It's the follow-up to their big, gigantic album, Shakespeare My Butt. Yes, that's actually the name of the album. But Pennadona's <laughs> hand, it's got a, a like a very powerful, like acoustic groove to it. it. Has a bit of a you know the the tail end of Home for a rest from Spirit of the West, uh, that kind of vibe to it. But it's so good. And if you've ever had a chance to listen to Lowest of the Low, that's a phenomenal album to deep dive into.
1: So that song really leans into that 90s alternative sound that Toad the Wet Sprocket, who we can't talk about tonight because their debut album came out in the 1980s using the criteria we set. But I definitely feel like they're the Canadian answer to Toad to wet sprocket here in the u.s i could see that yeah so then using that as a launching point i think i know what i'm going to do i'm going to fast forward a few years and this band is to me one of the more underrated alternative rock bands of the 90s they've only had a handful of albums but every one of them i've loved so so much And I am going to go with a song that originally debuted on 1999's American Pie soundtrack. So it fits just in the nick of time. But the song then followed up on their 1999 album, Sugar. And I'm going to go with Tonic, You Wanted More. It still has that acoustic alternative energy and feel and has that, I don't want to say Toad the Wet Sprocket vibe, but That's a sound, when I say Toad Duet Sprocket, you immediately know the sound I'm talking about, and Lowest of the Low channels that in their music. So to me, I feel like following that up with something in those lines would be a perfect way to go. Now, to me, 1996's Lemon Parade is really hard to top. I mean, Open Up Your Eyes, If You can Only See. These are songs that I've been covering for years. Fantastic, but You Wanted More. It's got that really cool hook, the guitar groove, and it's got that shuffle beat going. It's almost Americana and rock combined. And I feel like following up lowest of the low, it helps tell that story, but still keep that energy up because You Wanted More is definitely a lot more energetic than if you can only see from Lemon Parade. So I'm going to follow up with Tonic, You Wanted More.
0: That is such a good song. And yes, you scooped me again. I also had mean to me on my list as well, because you're right. Nice. You know, it, it is hard to follow up such a big album like that, but I think they did it really, really well with sugar. And there's there's some of the deeper cuts on there that are also really good. And I think I know exactly where I'm going to go with this, because to me, that brings it to a bit more of a melodic rather than, you know, straight ahead chords, you know, chugging away. And that leads me to version 2.0 from Garbage and their song "When I Grow Up." Oh, good pick. I was flip flopping between this one and Special because, to me, the first album was really, really good. A lot of production work and you know, some of the electronic sounds that we got a lot of industrial and all that from the '90s. Here, it's almost like Shirley Manson was channeling a very Pat Benatar vibe with some of these songs, and I personally think 2.0. Is a better album than the original as far as songs go, at least the way I hear them. But yeah, I'm going to go with When I Grow Up from Garbage.
1: Scooped me on the band. I had Push It sitting on my list. Again, it all depended on where we were heading musically, but that's another great song. I also think you hit the nail right on the head comparing it to a Pat Benatar sound because there's definitely that influence in songs on version two versus the first album, which is definitely much more rooted in Butch Vig's mindset, so to speak. Hmm. And I think I'm going to follow this up by sticking with the female perspective here. But musically, it's going to be a little bit of a shift. Sonically, because I don't have much that fits with garbage in my list. So I'm going to slow things down a little bit and go with a song that is hitting a little closer to home right now, because this is a band that when I first heard them, I said to my friends and I felt this now for 30 years. I'm like, wow, this is Sinead O'Connor in the 90s. I could hear Sinead O'Connor in this group. And that would be the Cranberries. And I am going to follow up from 1994's No Need to Argue with the anthem Zombie. And I'll tell you why this song has staying power. Recently, my band was playing a trio show. It was myself on acoustic guitar, my buddy Chris Van Cleave on keys, and drummer Jay behind the kid who you remember from some Playlist Wars episodes. And we're doing a trio set. And somebody comes up to the stage and says... Can you guys cover the Cranberry Zombie? Chris looks at me and says, I'm not singing that. And I said, look, we're three guys up here. That's a pretty tall order vocally. I said, so I'll make a deal with you. And the band is looking at me like, we've never played this before. And I literally turned to them and I go, it's E minor, C, G, D for the most part. Just let's run with it. And they said, how are you going to sing it? I said, the verses I can handle. So then I turned to the crowd and said, the only thing I'm going to say is if you're not singing this chorus, this song's going to sound awful. And we went in and did it. And every single person in the crowd sang it so loud that the hair on my arms stood up. And we have included that song in every show we've played ever since. Thankfully, now we have my good friend from high school, Nikki, who joins on female vocals to make it a little bit more close to the original because... Yeah, I am not a Dolores O'Riordan level vocalist, let's just say. But this song to me just has a timeless energy to it. It's slower, but it's so anthemic and it's so memorable. And again, it's another singer who's gone too soon, just like Sinead, who, you know, as we're recording this, we're still feeling the sting of that happening. So, yeah, following up Shirley from Garbage, I'm going with Dolores from The Cranberries and Zombie.
0: What is it about that song that random people are going to come up to you and say, hey, can you play this song? Because we had one of those situations where we were just wrapping up second set and someone's like, yeah, can you play zombie? We're like, "Okay, we're just going to quickly look at how to play it, you know, what the chords are in between our sets. And then when we come back, third set, we're going to play it. Third set rolls around. We're ready to play it. And they were so drunk that they left. So (laughs) luckily, we we saved ourselves having to probably butcher that song, but we were ready to go. We were ready to go. Yeah, it's so good. And even when you heard the remake done by Bad Wolves, it just proves how timeless that song is. And that's one of those things where there's a lot of songs where if you hear it done by a band from a completely different genre and it still sounds as good, that tells you how good the song was and not just the production behind it.
1: And then you add to the fact that Dolores O'Riordan was supposed to guest on that Bad Wolves version adds an even more haunting layer to that story because, man, I love the original and I do enjoy Bad Wolves version. The two of them together was probably going to make musical magic and it's one of those what-ifs that, man, I wish would have come together.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know exactly where I'm going to go with that one. One of the bigger albums you know when it came out in 1997 i played this album ad nauseum and that's off of the eight arms to hold you album by Baruch salt i'm gonna go with shutterbug though and not volcano girls because i feel like shutterbug a it's a great song but B, I think it matches the tonality of "Zombie" a little bit more. I think I've actually liked "Shutterbug" even more than some of the other songs on the album. Even though I don't, I can't remember if it was released as a single or not. This album, really, you know, to me, production-wise, obviously, it's better than "American Thighs," and they should have exploded. And yeah, "Volcano Girls" did get a lot of airplay, and then of course. You know, Louise Post and Nina Gordon kind of went their separate ways for a little bit, and now they're back together. But you know, it's it's great that these songs are there. And Shutterbug, to me, best song on the album.
1: Ooh, that's so tough. You scoop me on the band once again. I did have Volcano Girls just because of that manic punk energy in that song. Veruca Salt always reminded me of like the '90s answer to the Go Go's, if that makes sense. Veruca Salt is one of those bands that. I feel, is just criminally, criminally underrated because both of those albums and Nina Gordon's solo stuff I absolutely love as well. I don't understand how they weren't bigger just overall because they just had all the right pieces of the musical puzzle as far as I'm concerned, all the way around.
0: Oh, absolutely, especially on Nina Gordon's solo album. Like, if I was making a chill mixtape, I guarantee you right now, one of the first songs on there would be Tonight and the Rest of My Life. It's such a good song.
1: That and Now I Can Die is another beautiful one from that album. Oh, my God. I could just go on. Hmm, Maybe we have a future episode there. Mm -hmm. All right. Following up Veruca Salt, I want to get weird. I want to go with a big song, but just one that's so 90s that there's no other decade this song could have been recorded in. And when you're following up a massive, massive album like 1994's Self-Titled. Ah, you have no idea which Self-Titled I'm talking (laughs) about. A lot of Self-Titled. The Blue Album. One would think that the band would feel the pressure to do whatever it was they did on the first album and copy and paste it in order to continue that success that they had with their debut. But Weezer kind of said, nah. We're going to do whatever the hell we want. And that would be 1996's Pinkerton, which most Weezer fans will argue is the best. Other Weezer fans will argue that the Blue Album is the best. It's always this fight going back and forth. But to me, there is no denying the absolute insanity of El Scorcho. Musically, there is no way to fit this song anywhere on this playlist. In a sense of, wow, this follows up whatever song was well. Because it is on its own island, musically. And that's what I love about it. And I cannot hear a song like El Scorcho being released in any decade other than the 90s. And it's just everything that I love about Pinkerton. And I'll be honest, I am probably more of a Blue Album person by just a scotch. But I love this album just as much. It's really tough to choose for me. So I'm going with El Scorcho from Weezer.
0: I would be curious if you were to put a poll on the platform formerly known as Twitter and, you know, Blue Album or Pinkerton, which is the better album. I'd be curious which one actually won out. But I'm glad you kind of went to the weird side because I'm not going to lie. There's an album here and a song that I was really, really hoping I was going to get to drop, and I think now is probably the best time. If I were to tell you that a song was a mix of ska and doo-wop, would your brain melt a little? Just a bit.
1: Okay. But being the musical chameleon I am, I would be like, I'm in.
0: (laughs) Well, here we go, because off of 1994's How to Make Friends and Influence People by Terror Vision I'm gonna go with Oblivion. This was one of those songs that kind of came out of the blue when it came out on you know, Much Music back in the day. Because I, I can't believe, especially you know now going through a lot of these albums, just how much of my musical tastes are shaped by the videos that I would see on Much Music and you know making those compilation vhs tapes because you're standing by and you come home from school and you've got like play and record and pause already set and the minute they say that that video say like, okay unpause here we go dude are you sure we're not related somehow <laughs> <laughs> this was one of those ones that's completely out of the blue never heard of the band and i don't think i've ever actually listened to any of their other albums but this album is so good and it's so much fun like it, it's it's a bop I know a lot of people say the songs are about this song's a bop. I mean, you you have the horns. You've got the almost like the doo-wop kind of chorus to it. It's fun. And if you never had a chance to listen to this album, I had like two or
1: three songs off of this album. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. And you've left me in a interesting predicament here to close out the side because scrolling through my list, I have not the closest thing. That I could follow that up with is Goldfinger, but I don't feel like it's a side closing song. And so this song is going to be both kind of a musical palate cleanser and a way to close out side one. And to me, the only way to close out a 90s sophomore release side is with the follow up to 1990's Facelift, not SAP like we talked about, but 1992's Dirt. You can also talk about the amazing soundtrack to singles. I'm going with Allison Chain's Wood. To me, that is a closing anthem. And there's really just no way to start a side with that or pop that in the middle of a side. It only closes things out for me personally at least
0: oh i mean as a bassist i don't know if there's a rock bassist in a band around that has not learned the bass groove to wood i mean i guarantee you i have played that you know while warming up or while doing sound check or just getting a level going you know it's not the kind of song that we would play at the bars that we play because people are there to dance and i don't know if i could ever actually see anyone dancing to wood I'd be curious to see how that would play out, but that song and just that opening as a bassist, And I'm sure you agree on this one. There are certain songs that are made for the four stringers out there. And this is one Mm -hmm. of them.
1: A thousand percent. I'll also throw in one other one that my old band used to do rotten apples. We would jam out the beginning and the one guitarist would doodle over it. And the other guitarist would come in with the clean guitar and it just worked so well. And that one just always hits. Alice in Chains had such a unique sound. They're part of what I call the 90s Big Four. When you think about Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. And I'll be honest, they might be my favorite of the Big Four. And it's hard because I, I, I respect all four bands immensely. But Alice in Chains leans into a lot of the heavier stuff that I love near and dear to my heart, but they also know they have a side that's softer than any of the bands on that list, even as softer songs like Nothing Man from Pearl Jam or Something in the Way by Nirvana. You take a song like Don't Follow by Alice in Chains. They they have a spectrum of music that is just undeniable. Oh, Absolutely.
0: Don't forget Nutshell. I mean, the song that kicked oh, off the gotcha. MTV Unplugged, Like that song is chills up and down the arm every time I hear it. I, I completely agree. Alice in Chains, I think, is my favorite of the uh, the grunge four, if you will. And having played a couple of Alice in Chains songs in my first band live a couple of times, uh, we did Wood, and then we did uh, It Ain't Like That. And again, nice. t- lots of fun songs to play as a band, but great songs to listen to as a listener. 100%.
1: And that, folks, closes out side A of our 90s sophomore albums mixtape, kicking off with Sponge's Wax Estatic to Sell Angelina, Counting Crows, Angels of the Silences, Lowest of the Low, Penedono's Hand, Tonics You Wanted More, Garbage When I Grow Up, Cranberry Zombie, Veruca Salt's Shutterbug, Weezer's El Scorcho, Terror Vision's Oblivion and Allison Chains' Wood Head over to MyWeeklyMixTape.com to hear all the songs we've discussed in this mix through the playlist embedded on the episode page
2: Hello Pantheon Podcast listeners Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds
1: Now, Jason, before we flip this proverbial mix over to side B, why don't you catch everybody up on what's been happening over at It's Not That Bad and There Can Only Be One Podcasts?
0: Well, it's funny you mention that because as we're recording this, this is a big week for It's Not That Bad because not only is it the two-year anniversary of the podcast and we've got our two-year episode, which will be out now by the time you're listening to this episode on Howard the Duck, because what better way to celebrate two years than by going down that road? um But we're also closing in on our one hundredth episode, and I am just going to let you figure out which one that's going to be. But I guarantee you, it's going to be very interesting to watch that film. But on the other side, where there can only be one, that podcast is starting to take off a little bit, and that one's a ton of fun as well. As we go through, you know, an artist's studio discography and pick our one song only one song off of each studio album as you know you've suffered through that debacle of trying to pick just one song many many times and i can almost guarantee you like myself you probably have an album listed as your research for this episode and multiple songs from that album picked as i know i do for some of these albums there it's been a ton of fun you know and since the start of it's not that bad and now we've got both podcasts going i i love to see the progression of it i love to see people having fun with it and we have a lot of fun guests on the show yourself included as well as gomez from the sleep g show and we've got greeting on a curve episodes coming up as well where we have like just a bunch of people like just ranking different movies in different categories so if you're in for a positive podcast that still likes to have a really good laugh or if you like a music podcast where the guest and myself suffer through having to decide on just one song Uh, you have two podcasts to choose from
1: i think they're both fantastic i'm sub to them both i'm always messaging you my commentary offline about some of the song choices and things like that they're two of my absolute favorites and i'm glad to be part of that universe congrats on the 100 episode milestone I still got about 60-something more to go before we get there at my weekly mixtape, but that time will come. Technically, that time will come in less than two years if I am sticking to the name of the show and keeping it weekly.
0: I'll just take the time here and apologize again for making you listen to Metallica's Lulu.
1: Thank you. I'm still trying to cleanse my palate from that one. So to do so, I will kick things off with Side B by picking something that is not from Metallica, because... They had several albums in the 80s, and they don't count. But we were just talking about the big four of the 90s, and I am a sucker for album opening tracks. When you're following up an album that kicks off as amazing as 1991's 10 did with the song Once, you best equally bring that intensity to start off your sophomore album. And on 1993's Versus, Pearl Jam does just that with the insanity known as Go I absolutely love the intensity that this song brings to kick off an album that I feel is on par with 1991's 10. And yes, I'll just say it, Vitology as well. I love all three of those albums. No code, not as much, but the first three Pearl Jam albums are a statement in and of itself to me. And to kick off a side, how can you not kick it off with a song called Go? Let's just kick this thing off. With some authority. Uh,
0: I can't argue that you know Pearl Jam definitely avoided the sophomore slump. I personally had Rearview Mirror on my list, so you kind of scooped me on it. the album there. Still, if we were ever to do a Pearl Jam, there could only be one. We could not talk about my favorite Pearl Jam song, which is State of Love and Trust, which, of course, was on the single soundtrack. But you're right. That album, like when you're following up 10, that was such not just a good album, period but it was a momentum changer in like the entire listener base of rock music that album shifted us into the world of grunge and to follow it up showed the grunge had the longevity even though popularity wise and mainstream wise it did fade after a while but oh so good so good on verses so good on vitality. i completely agree now you went with go and that's got a lot of energy to it. Where do I go from here? As I take a look at my multiple pages of notes here, <laughs> you know, I think I know what I'm going to go with. And I was hopeful that the inevitable actually happened. Spotify has this thing where occasionally a full album isn't available. You get certain songs here and there, but just about a week or two before we record this episode, the full album popped up and I was like, Oh my God, it's there. I can mention these songs. And it's arguably in my personal opinion, 1994, one of the best albums of that entire year. That's a big statement, but I'm going with off of the trouble gum album from therapy. I'm going to go with a song called stop it. You're killing me. I freaking love this album. Like it is, raw energy all the way through arguably has the best cover of a joy division song that I think I've ever heard in isolation. This is another one of those bands where this album stands out amongst their entire discography and they're still around to this day and still putting out new music. And if you have a chance, listen to trouble gum. If you like something where it's like raw energy all the way through, listen to this album.
1: Could not agree more. Glad it's finally on streaming, but doesn't really matter because I own the CD anyway. So yeah, that's kind of that love hate relationship I have with streaming because of the fact, just like you said, you go to listen to an album and just because of whatever label shenanigans are happening, songs aren't there. No, no, no. If I want to listen to an album in its entirety, I am listening to that album in its entirety. Thank you very, very much. And I, we're obviously going energetic for side two, so I am sticking with energetic, and I am going up with another one of the 90s namesake bands. This is not going to be a band that shocks anybody, but the song might. I am going to go off of 1994's Purple, and I'm going to go with my So, If we were doing a Stone Temple Pilots episode on there, can only be one. I'm going to go with my favorite song from that album. And it's a song that I cover with my good friend D.C. Slater on the album Wicked Garden, a millennium tribute to Stone Temple Pilots, although our version was a slowed down acoustic version. The studio cut of Stone Temple Pilots Unglued hits me every time as a raw, manic, powerful rock song. And just for those out there that may be curious to hear what me and my buddy did with the song when we... Kind of flipped it on its side. I'll throw a version up on the episode page at myweeklymixtape.com, just in case you want to check that out. But following up therapy, Stop It, You're Killing Me, Stone Temple Pilots, Unglued. Such
0: a good song. I I had Interstate Love Song on my list. Oh, yeah.
1: Interstate Love Song has such a mass appeal. I completely get it. Patreon mixtaper Jason Donch just chimed in with that one. That is a huge, huge song that really extends Stone Temple Pilots notoriety outside of the hard rock vein, but coming out of Pearl Jam and Therapy, I felt like Unglued was the better fit for this mixtape. That album,
0: really, those first three albums for Stone Temple Pilots, again, it's a a phenomenal three-album run right there. Oh, where to go from here? Where to go from here? Okay. Okay, I've got this one here not necessarily as energetic, but still with the same kind of crunch that you would get from what we've got so far on this side. I'm going to go with off of 1995's Seeds album from Brother Kane and Fools Shine On. This was another one of those ones where out of the blue, this video comes up on Much Music, MTV for all of you American listeners, and (laughs) all of a sudden you've got the hook stuck in your head. And it had that kind of early collective soul kind of chunk to the song itself and the fact that some of the members of brother kane teamed up with kelly gray and scott rockefeld later in a group called slave to the system if you're looking for side projects that's a phenomenal album to listen to but and fools shine on from 1995's seeds
1: it's funny you mentioned collective soul because as soon as you mentioned brother kane the first thought that came to my mind we talked about My band Colburn & Company, Drummer Jay, is a huge fan of Brother Kane. So that immediately popped into my head. And the second thing that popped into my head is the only thing I can follow up Brother Kane with on my list is Collective Soul. Because I feel like they just have that same energy to them. I don't want to say musically they're not paint by numbers by any stretch of the imagination. But vibe-wise, I feel like they both fall under that same vein. And I'm going to keep the energy up and i'm going to go with the song that i got a chance to talk with a member of collective soul will turpin on episode 12 the ultimate collective soul playlist i am going to go with the song that was first featured on the soundtrack to the jerky boys movie <laughs> and then the lead single from their sophomore effort i'm going to go with gel i just love the riff there's something that's so perfect in its simplicity it's so catch it's so catchy it's so infectious It almost has a Cars meets 90s vibe. And I'm talking about the Cars, Rick Okasik. You take that sound and you merge it with 90s rock, you get a song like Jail by Collective Soul. So infectious, so wonderful. And instead of hearing me talk about it, go back and listen to episode 12 because Will Turpin says some great stuff about it. And before I forget, also, like I mentioned at the top of the show, Jason Donch just chimed in with Simple from the same album. I mean... There are so many songs you could pick from this album, Untitled, The World I Know. Anything works. I'm just trying to fall in line with this playlist that we're putting together here. But I love that band. I can't wait for them to put out something new again. Uh, yeah,
0: you scoop me on gel. I had that on my list for sure. And you're right, especially when you're coming off of an album where Shine was such a big song that was all over the place at the time. You know, If you weren't walking around and you are not if your response is not, girl... Then you, you, you didn't <laughs> 90s properly here. But I'm glad you mentioned the cars because that tells me exactly where I'm going to go next. This album had some of the biggest choruses of the 90s, and I'm glad that Butch Walker went on and had a a long solo career afterwards, but I'm going to go with off of Hey Album from Marvelous 3. But rather than go with Freak of the Week, I think I'm going to go with Vampires in Love because that song's got such a great sing-song chorus to it. I mean, that whole album, the whole album. If you like a catchy hook and a big chorus, and sing-along vibes to the whole song, you're going to love that album. Like I love Butch Walker's solo stuff, but Marvelous 3 had that catchy, almost cars kind of vibe to it as well.
1: 100%. You scooped me on Marvelous 3. However, I did have Freak of the Week because I used to cover that song. I love Butch Walker. They're doing a reunion show this year in 2023. I'm so stoked about that. I hope it leads to more... Butch Walker is just one of the most gifted, prolific songwriters and producers on the scene. He has his hands on so many amazing albums from so many bands across so many genres. And he speaks to all of those genres effortlessly. He is one of the best out there. And I'm so glad you picked them. And that is hard to, follow up because they have this pop sensibility that's not sitting in my list very well I don't have a lot of the pop flavored punk kind of stuff and I don't want to call Marvelous 3 pop punk because they're not but they have that element to it that tinge they toured with bands like Lit and Eve 6 so I would not call them punk but they had that punk flavor to the alternative rock sound if you want to call it that
0: Kind of that power pop feel.
1: Yes, yes. So coming out of that. My God, this is so tough because I have three songs I definitely want to talk about tonight, and I only have two spots left, and I'm praying you're going to pull one of these three. All right. I'm going to follow it up with a song that is not power pop at all. It's just manic energy. It's one of the. These songs that is going to pick the energy up to close out side B for the second half, because no matter what song you put before it, Monkey Wrench by the Foo Fighters is picking the energy up. It doesn't matter what it is. It's rock. It's hard rock. It's everything I love about the Foo Fighters. Again, following up 1995's self-titled, which was just supposed to be a demo tape, 1997 is by many. Considered to be the Foo Fighters' masterpiece. Personally, for me, I think Wasting Light is the band's finest hour with the color and the shape a close second. But to me, as much as there's songs like Everlong and My Hero, Monkey Wrench just rises to the top. It is just so much fun and so energetic, and it's everything I love about the Foo Fighters. So let's see how you follow up Foo Fighters' Monkey Wrench
0: oh this is gonna be a tough one here because like yourself there are certain songs where i'm just like i wish i'm hoping for an avenue to get that into but what follows up monkey wrench by the way i had hey johnny park on my list as well so another
1: great one i mean come on you can go with any of them oh uh, the the
0: whole album no lie there is a foo fighters episode coming up on there can only be one and that is not going to be an easy episode to pick songs off of at all (sighs) where do i go with this one from Foo Fighters, Keeping Up the Energy. Okay, okay. I'm gonna go a little more aggressive here, but still on the rockier side. The song that broke Woodstock, I'm gonna go off of 1999 Significant Other Break Stuff from Limp Biscuit. Now, say what you want about what went down at Woodstock, say what you want about Limp Biscuit and their songwriting, but if you're looking for a speeding ticket, Break Stuff is probably going to be that song. And it stands out from the rest of that album to me. Like, you know, songs like Nookie, they were definitely a lot of radio play, but Break Stuff had not just the energy, but a lot of fun to it. And sometimes you just wanted to rage out to a song. So yeah, off a significant other, Break Stuff.
1: Beauty in simplicity. Down, down. The whole place is about to go off. Everybody at that time, was losing their mind to Limp Bizkit. I know Limp Bizkit has become a punchline to some over the years, but I'm sorry. Some songs are just meant to be fun. They're just meant to be party songs. They're just meant to be anthemic. And Break Stuff, to me, is an absolute, I'll just say it, classic. If I want to get psyched up, I mean two chords, and I'm ready to go. Like I understand everything that happened at Woodstock 99. And I am not team bro or whatever those guys were that were being obnoxious at that concert. However, I've seen Limp Bizkit perform several times during that heyday, and that song always set the place off into a frenzy. And unfortunately, well, fortunately and unfortunately, you've made my next decision quite easy. (laughs) Because I have two songs that I want to talk about. One of them works and one of them doesn't. So the song that doesn't work, I got to give respect to because in my opinion, it's the best sophomore album of the 1990s. But there has been no place for me to fit a Southern rock album on this mix. And that would be 1992's The Southern Harmony and Musical Companion and Black Crow's Remedy. Of course, I'm 100% in lockstep with Patreon mixtaper Jason Donchus on this pick. However, the problem now is that I cannot follow up Limp Biscuit with Remedy and have it make sense musically and be in good taste. But I want to give a shout out to that album because it's amazing. It's a masterpiece of Southern rock and I love the album and I'm so effing upset that I haven't found a place to squeeze it in. However, coming out of Break Stuff. There's only one song that could possibly match that insanity. And it's also another Woodstock 99 reference from 1996's Evil Empire, Rage Against the Machine, Bulls on Parade. Let's just keep turning this thing up. And can you imagine if this was a concert and these songs were happening? Monkey Wrench, Break Stuff, Bulls on Parade. Holy moly, man, like don't be driving when you're listening to this playlist right now, because my weekly mixtape is not responsible for any speeding tickets that may incur when listening to said playlists. If you were
0: at a show and a band was playing all these songs in a row, like literally a hard rock 90s cover band. I would not be surprised to see a circle pit in the middle of the bar at the time, and then you never get to go back and play there because you have to still be paying <laughs> the damages that happen. But but again, that that's on them. That's not on you. Um, yeah, no. Like, Rage Against the Machine arguably is 90s, like, hard rock and angry rock, too. Like... If you have SiriusXM, you're listening to a lot of it. You're listening to Lithium or Octane or Turbo, any of those channels, especially anything that Tom Morello's got his show on. One of the things, too, I love is the fact that Tom Morello is such a talented guitarist. Such a talented guitarist. Anything he touches literally has his signature on it, and you know instantly who that guitarist is. I, I keep thinking about Street Sweeper Social Club and their song 100 Little Curses. That is such a Tom Morello guitar riff. There's also a video that Fender Guitars put out. And if, if you if you're a guitarist, and you want to geek out a little bit here, okay? Picture this: Scott Ian, you know Betancourt, Tom Morello, if I remember correctly, it's Brad Paisley. And you also have the music composer and showrunner from Game of Thrones on six guitars doing the Game of Thrones theme song. It's so good. And Tom Morello, when he gets his bit to shine, literally you sit there and go, how, I don't know how he makes those noises, but damn, if it isn't really good.
1: Jason, if you send me the link to that, I will include that on the show page as well. So people can check that song out. I'm glad you mentioned Brad Paisley. I know people are going to be like, wait a minute, Brad Paisley. People don't realize he is a ridiculously sick guitarist. One of the best country guitarists I've ever seen, ever, 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 ever. But going back to Tom Morello, you listen to the High Hopes album from Bruce Springsteen, where he played lead on a lot of the songs. And even that signature sound in a Bruce Springsteen song, you know who you're hearing. It's just unmistakable. And he is one of the most unique guitarists of the 90s for sure.
0: It's almost like Morello captured for guitar and signature tones exactly what Steve Vai did. Remember when he was on the White Snake album that he was on? Like you could tell instantly that that was Steve Vai's guitar work right away. And any album that he is on, or he guests on that, I remember he guessed it on the track from the Hey Stupid album from Alice Cooper, and it was him. Yes. And I think it was I think it was Jeff Beck as well, just guitar dueling on one of the songs. And it's like I think it was Feed My Frankenstein actually, and you could tell when one and the other guitarists just completely started to pick up you know, their riff. That's their guitar tone, and it speaks volumes.
1: No pun intended. So now, speaking volumes is one of the hardest things you're going to have to do because you need to follow up this trifecta of mayhem of Foo Fighters' Monkey Wrench, Limp Bizkit's Break Stuff, and Rage Against the Machine's Bulls on Parade – or a three-peat, whatever you want to call it, because we talked about it at the top of the episode, you're closing out the night. How do you encore these three songs, Jason?
0: Oh, dear God. This is one of those how-do-you-close-a-show kind of thing. And I'm just taking a look at my list. And there's so many songs here that I wish we'd had a chance to discuss. Like Anything from Bruce Dickinson's to Picasso album would have, would have been wonderful to talk about. Tori Amos may be the one artist I've seen the most of, but I don't know if Tori Amos kind of goes well here, but I think I know how I'm going to end it because I'm going to end it the kind of the same feel, at least instrument wise that we ended side a with, you know, me in, in talking back and forth, you know, I'm a huge Nixon's fan. So off of their self-titled 1997 album, I'm going to go with a song called the fall. And this is a song where the lead instrument really is a fretless bass. And it's Ricky Walking's first album with the Nixons after they had changed basses. It's a phenomenal song. So we've got the songwriting talent of Zach Molloy. You've got the, the fretless bass work of Ricky Walking. And that album and their follow up on their third one, the uh, latest thing criminally underrated. I know they get a lot of attention from FOMA, but the fall off of the second album, as well as songs like Baton Rouge, great songs. The third album, Latest Thing, which was produced by Rick O. as well, since we have the cars reference there. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the Nixons, do so. And this song is just a wonderful song.
1: Couldn't agree more. You hit the nail on the head with underrated. I mean, people from 90s radio in the US are very familiar with Sister from Foma but then the Nixons at least here in the US they kind of fell off of rock radio and it's a shame because musically they checked all the boxes as far as I'm concerned and that is a very I'm trying to think of the right word to use here dynamic way to close side B Well, the
0: funny thing is, this song actually acts as a fascinating bookender, because I remember, if you remember, like the first song we talked about, that was the last concert I saw before the pandemic shut concerts down. Sponge was the opening act. The Nixons were the
1: headliner that night. So very autobiographical for you, sir. Well done. Well played. Mm -hmm. And that, Mixtapers, concludes Side B of our 90s sophomore albums mixtape, which kicked off with Pearl Jam's Go. Therapy's Stop It, You're Killing Me, Stone Temple Pilots Unglued, Brother Kane's And Fool's Shine On, Collective Souls Gel, Marvelous 3's Vampires in Love, Foo Fighters Monkey Wrench, Limp Biscuits, Break Stuff, Rage Against the Machines, Bulls on Parade, and The Nixon's The Fall. Head over to myweeklymixtape.com to hear all the songs we've discussed in this mix through the playlist embedded on the episode page. Jason, before we hit stop on the mixtape tonight, why don't you remind listeners where they can connect with you and check out It's Not That Bad and There Can Only Be One?
0: Well, if you are on the platform formerly known as Twitter, you can find us there at Not That bad Cast or at Only One Cast. Or on other social media platforms, it's just Not That Bad Cast, just the one account. Or you can go to our website at notthatbadcast.com, where you can find pages for each of the shows, including Grading on a Curve as well, where we just have the specials that pop up in the It's Not That Bad feel. As well, you can see our Coming Soon page, where you're going to see some of the movies that we're going to be talking about down the road. By all means, drop us a line. Let us know what you thought of some of those films or movies you'd love to hear us cover, because we want to hear from you, the listeners.
1: Well, Jason, my first P trifecta guest Thank you so much for joining me on my weekly mixtape. And I'm looking forward to visit number four, which I don't know, we'd call it the quad. I don't know. Whatever we'll name it. Thank you again for joining me tonight. Brian, thanks so much. We'll call it the quadraphonic episode. There you have it, folks. (laughs) Remember, you could find my weekly mixtape on almost all of the social media haunts at my weekly mixtape. You can also head to myweeklymixtape.com to check out the full catalog of my weekly mixtape episodes. Finally, if you like what you're hearing on the show, you can help me out by either telling a friend about the podcast, leaving the show a five-star review wherever you're tuning in, or becoming a Patreon mixtaper at patreon.com forward slash myweekly mixtape. That's all for this week. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, enjoy the tunes.